Welcome to a brand new AVA Movement interview episode. My name is Adam Barnard, and today I'm sitting down with the wonderful Matt Thompson, who has directed the uh, last two Angels and Aries videos, the Rebel Girl video and the Kiss and Tell music video. And he has also been involved with uh, To The Stars History Channel series, Unidentified. Uh, so Matt, thank you so much for sitting uh, down with us today to talk about some of your, your work with the band and its uh, the different stories that are coming out of To The Stars. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's It's been an absolute dream. So um, I, I think you've actually been a really recent addition to the team um, in terms of uh, Tom's series of collaborators, I guess we can say. Can you just go ahead and talk about, I guess, first off, how you got into filmmaking and what's your origin story and then how you got connected with Tom and to the stars? Yeah, I um, knew that I loved making movies from a really, really young age. Um, I made my first feature film when I was uh, a sophomore in high school. I was 15. Um, I had done a bunch of shorts and stuff before then just with friends. And, you know, I was able to, like, convince teachers in high school to let me make videos instead of write papers for certain projects. And uh, it was something that I just, when I was young, dad gave me the camera, um, and then I just ran with it. And when I got to high school, I just was like, you know, I want to make feature films. I don't want to make short films. So <laughs> we just kind of did. And uh, I found a bunch of collaborators that were into it. And for a summer, we uh, shot a movie for like two weeks called The Medallion of Man, which is about this medallion that uh, is actually forged by Lucifer uh, that he makes because he's trying to get Eve to fall in love with Adam because Eve's not into Adam in the Garden of Eden. And so he makes this thing thinking that if he makes Eve fall in love with Adam, uh, then God would basically be stoked and be happy for Lucifer. Lucifer. And so he makes this medallion that any man who wears it, any woman who looks at him instantly falls in love with him, sends it down. God sees that it's a fake love, casts him out of the garden. It's a whole like rewrite on the Adam and Eve story. And then this medallion gets passed on generation after generation till like a junior in high school finds it in modern day and he doesn't get any girls. And it's uh, him basically having a, a ball with this thing that uh, helps him get girls. Yeah, I was 15 when I made that. I wrote that and then shot it over the summer, and then we premiered it at the end of summer. I'm from Encinitas, California, originally. Um, we premiered it at the end of summer to a theater uh, called La Paloma Theater. And, um, every, you know, the whole community and friends and family watched. And after that, I was just it really reinforced, like, this is exactly what I wanted to do. It was such a wonderful way to learn storytelling um, in a way that was just doing it, you know, like just go bold and fail big if that's the case. But, um, you know, it's by, it's by no means uh, a great movie, but it was so fun to just figure out how the process worked. And so then that next year, my um, junior year, I wrote a movie called Night Sights, um, which was a sci-fi drama about a dad that basically uh, one night is walking his dog and stumbles upon these apparitions that are coming out of the ground. And it turns out that they're souls of um, the dead that are being released from purgatory and collected by loved ones to be delivered to heaven. And this dad had just lost his son in an accident that led him to believe that his son might be in purgatory and his soul needs to be saved. So it's basically like Close Encounters of the Third Kind meets, you know, Christianity, uh, closing hours of the Christian kind. And, you know, I, it was, you know, my, uh, attempt to do something a little bit more, a little more serious, but I was always a huge close encounters fan as a kid. And I probably watched that movie like 40 times, but then that, that movie ended up getting picked up, um, 
for distribution by a boutique distribution company uh, called ITN Distribution. We, we took the film to uh, AFM, which is the American film market. And it was like a really nice niche. You know, we had like some, some it was a very interesting storyline that I think actually had like a good quote unquote market value. Um, and so the film was bought and it was, you know, I think it was bought and shown in like uh, Africa, China, Scandinavia, As, like VOD um, or theatrical distribution. You know, it's so funny. It was we had like I have this sheet of all the different territories and what was bought, and Africa bought the theatrical rights to it. I, like I would have loved to know if that movie played in some theater in Africa, but <laughs> the other places it was mostly yeah, mostly VOD, um, SVOD, TVOD, and um, and then like DVD. So uh, you know, so it kind of made its rounds and and it just it opened up a lot of doors and it and it technically was a you know a profitable film um and it really but it made me like totally not want to go to college like I was just like after I made that I was like I just want to keep making movies you know even though it wasn't a great film from a you know from perspective it was again it was another amazing learning experience I'm so proud of the film because of what we were able to do with so little and but I was just like I just want to keep doing things I come from a very smart family that is like, you should go to college. And so I was like, okay, fine. So I applied to all the, the film schools. Um, and uh, I applied. I wanted, it was one of those kids that wanted to go to USC, um, didn't get in. And one of the other schools I applied to was LMU, which was kind of a sleeper school in my radar at first. I just had known a friend that had gone there. And um, so I decided to go and the whole time I was there I was like I just want to make that next film that's going to help me you know not have to graduate you know I thought that if I graduated it would mean that I wasn't I didn't do what what I uh, could have done you know I didn't make that next film that was the big film and all that and it's just so funny looking back but it, it ended up being the most wonderful experience because I met all the people that I collaborate with now um, to this day and I met my partner Matthew Law who we started a film production company together called The Mats our junior year. I'm giving you every detail. Sorry. No, it's basically. great. I mean, it's, it's interesting though. Did that kind of, did those experiences kind of inform like the, you know, the experiences you had when you were in high school really inform the kind of stories you want to tell or inform a certain kind of strategy? Just cause like, I think, you know, I've, uh, for the record, I went to film school at, at Chapman university. And I think most of the people, I've seen in film school very much come in like, oh, this is what I want to do, but they're at an early stage of that. They might not have even made a short or they might just be exploring this as part of a greater, you know, arts package. They want to kind of make themselves a diversified person. But for you, it's like you were already like on the cusp of doing, uh, of being a professional or making like that third movie. So how did that you know, just, just, I guess, psychologically, how did that influence your film school experience? And then, you know, coming out of film school when you started to work with, uh, to the stars and Tom DeLong. It was a constantly, it was a, just a building momentum that had started when actually I was a freshman and I had made a short film that a girl that I sat next to in speech class actually used to horseback ride with Steven Spielberg's daughters. And she <laughs> showed him, yeah, crazy, like what? She, sh she showed him that film. And I have a signed and autographed, actually half-eaten pla paper plate from him that says, to Matt, keep making those videos, Steven Spielberg. And, um, and he, that, I mean, I didn't go to school for like three days after that because I was just so absolutely over 
overdrive passion. And I just started writing that first movie. I started writing Medallion of Man after that. I was just like, I was just like, I just got touched from some, you know, one degree of separation who was a god to me. You know, Spielberg's always been my biggest inspiration. And so like, okay, this thing, this is possible. So this momentum just started. And then I don't know, I think it was just maybe ignorance actually kind of kept me going of like, I didn't know how hard it was to do this stuff. I just knew I wanted to do it, you know? And so I just kept, I would just ask people for favors. I would just ask for things and try to find the people in my spheres that actually were good at certain craft, certain things, and try to just give them an opportunity to um, unleash their craft and in their own way. So yeah, these films, it was just like, I was always just about, if there's an opportunity, if there's a door, like take it, open it, walk through it. Um, you know, I, I always thought that it's better to, you know, aim really high and be really bold with something because you'll just learn so many more lessons along the way, even if you do fail hard. But, um, for me, it, it led into, um, after film school, uh, I decided to continue the path of, of being entrepreneurial with my film career, with creating a company and with creating my own opportunities, um, with utilizing all the people that were in my sphere that were so such talented artists. And it came a day where I was, uh, you know, we had run our, we were running our company now for four years and somebody from uh, Tom DeLong's office uh, Lisa Clifford, who's Tom's personal assistant. I think you guys know Lisa. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's wonderful. And she um, she calls me out of the blue. I've known her like my whole life. She's like my second mom, really. And Really? Um, so you've, you've had a personal connection to kind of that sphere. You were aware of, I, I assume, kind of like the music and the, the uh, multi-platform adventures of the band. Totally. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was so funny because I grew up like parallel to it the whole time. You know, I'd never met Tom until a year and a half ago. I'd never met him. Um, I obviously like, you know, he was around in conversation and my, you know, really good friend, Chris, who's Lisa's son, you know, Chris, like my brother. And we basically, so like Tom was always uh, in the conversation and obviously I loved his music growing up. But then this opportunity came where she calls me out of the blue and this is, this would have been March of 2018. And she calls me and she says, uh, Matt, I can't tell you what the project is, but I think you know who it's for. Um, <laughs> he's look, he's, he's looking for a, um, a videographer, somebody to capture something that's this mission, quote unquote. And he's, and she says, is this something that you're interested in? I think you're kind of ready at that level. I wouldn't recommend you if I didn't think you were somebody that's really ready and he's really needing somebody he can trust. Um, and so it was really one of those opportunities where at first I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I was, I had been a director now for a while and I hadn't really done and I don't do a whole lot where I'm like literally holding the camera up and up at that point in time, you know, um, I was very familiar with it, but I was just like, you know what, this is just one of those opportunities where it's like, who knows where it's going to lead. Of course I'm going to do it. Um, but I think Lisa was only comfortable to recommend me because she had seen all of these things that I had done where I just, you know, uh, I sort of just proved that I was capable of, um, of, of handling, uh, certain really ambitious tasks that I had to like self-prescribe. And so that's where I think to answer your question really long-windedly, but like that whole evolution of these projects starting from high school, it was just constantly like, 
putting a discipline on myself to say, um, the only way you're going to get good is if you give yourself an opportunity to try to get better, you know, and not everybody always is going to get that opportunity to get better. You have to give it to yourself. You know, you have to like give yourself a, a discipline to say, I'm going to make a feature film in a year. Somehow by God, we're going to do it. And <laughs> then, and then up, you know, so then it got to this point where I just, uh, you know, she was like, okay, I think you're, you're ready to kind of meet Tom. And, um, it was really cool because we actually didn't tell Tom at first at all that we knew each other. We wanted to, we wanted Tom to look at me as just a filmmaker and see if my creative vision was right you know, um, for Tom. So Lisa calls me and she tells me about this, this mission. So she says, you need to come to the office and I want you to meet Tom and see what he thinks and meet this guy named Lou Elizondo. And of course I, that night, uh, go and I start researching who these people are and I look up Lou and I'm like, okay, wow. Um, <laughs> I look up Tom. <laughs> yeah, obviously. And then the whole team and I'm like, okay, okay, here we go. So I had a feeling that it was probably something for To The Stars since she had mentioned these two. So I came down and I come to the office in Encinitas and the first thing is Lou sits me down in uh, on the on the boardroom table and gives me what amounts to be an hour and a half briefing of everything that they have been doing and what they're going to do and what this mission is and... Um, the very first mission, so to speak, that we were supposed to do uh, ended up not happening, but it was going to take place in another country. And it, he basically just gives me this whole rundown of this is what happens if, um, you know, if, if, if something happens, like hide, you know, put the memory card inside of a cardboard box and this is how you do it so that we can make sure that, you know, this, this stuff is, you know, kept okay. And, and like, he's wow. really like, I'm just getting more and more wide open and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is this? And then, you know, he tells me everything and this is like CIA. This is like being conscripted in the CIA in a way. This is like 100, 100%. All of a sudden volunteering for a covert mission. It was like a huge dive all at once. It was it was it was a full submersion into everything they were doing, and they were very serious about it. And you know, they wanted me to realize what it would consist of. You know, and sure. then Tom comes in the building, and Tom comes in. He's like, he's like, are you Matt? And he's like, come with me real quick. Uh, let's go check out some cameras because he has a bunch of cameras uh, that he wanted me to look at that he owns uh, to see if any of them would work well. And, you know, Tom's actually, like, loves tech, and he loves cameras, and he loves that stuff, and he wanted to kind of go talk about it and nerd out on cameras. So I get in the car with him, and we're driving down the 101, and he just turns to me, and he says, hey, um, don't go crazy, okay? There's a lot of stuff you're going to learn. And I was just like, okay. And he just, you know, tells me um, a little bit more about what they're doing and uh, what, you know, he needs me to do and what this first task was going to be was to, um, it was supposed to be another country, that one ended up getting um, canceled. But then this other thing came up, which was going to be uh, accompanying Lou and Tom to a place in Ohio, picking up material and transferring it to Austin, Texas, which amounted to the Adam Project Begins video. Um, and I remember leaving that day after this whole briefing, and it was kind of like that scene from Men in Black where Agent J like leaves <laughs> for the first time and kind of just looks around at life, and it all just looks a little bit different. Um, sure. It, it really, yeah, it really was like that. I mean, it was like uh, what these guys are doing and the people they have involved with their 
company are as legit as you can get, you know, and as qualified as you can get. Um, and of course, if you remember, like my favorite movie growing up was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like this was in such an in such an amazing way. It was like, oh my, it could this really be that magical? Where like this movie that I love so much is like now? Am I gonna be able to? take part in the reality of it. And I, and I told Tom some of this stuff and I told Tom, you know, my background and I told him some of my family history, um, that has, you know, strong, you know, military ties in my family history. And, you know, my dad, uh, particularly, uh, who passed away when I was 10. And, you know, Tom just looked at me, he says, he says, you're, you know, you're meant to be here. Like, like, wow, this, this group of people is, um, it's very special, everybody that's come together in a way. And of course that made me, you know, I, that made me feel really good and, and feel really, I could just, I saw Tom was somebody that really truly just under, understands the magic fabric of this universe really well that a lot of people don't necessarily look at. And I thought that that was just really, really cool. Did you feel like there was some element of like almost predestination? Because it's interesting just hearing you describe your personal story. So much of the the philosophy that you have about creativity, about yourself as an artist and and the way you tell stories feels very, very, very parallel to Tom's whole message with Angels and Airwaves. And, you know, just being in the same orbit as him personally, you know, geographically growing up that way. Did you ever feel like you two were going to be on a collision course sometimes? Or did that kind of contribute to being like, oh, yeah, this is this is right. Like, of course, I was going to get the call at some point because it was just too good of a pairing not to happen at some point no it 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 never crossed my mind that I would ever really? intersect with Tom never never like Tom I liked his music but I didn't really know much about him I mean other than that like I it that call from Lisa came truly out of the blue for me I was writing another project you know trying to do another film up here in LA and I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't think that I would be paired up with Tom's camp at all growing up. You know, it wasn't something that was in my purview. It wasn't a goal of mine. It wasn't anything like that. Tom, though, saw it right away. When Tom started cracking open my past and asking me questions, he right away was like, this is meant, this is a pairing that's meant to happen. And it was something that he felt really at ease about um, when I came around for me, it's kind of more like the longer the journey has gone on for, the more I look back, even just sitting here talking to you about it all, I'm starting to really see it clearly. Like, yeah, how it is really, it feels almost <laughs> predestined to it, to, to, to a degree. And it's just, I mean, we're both Encinitas boys and we both just like, or, you know, some San Diego boys and, um, he's from Poway originally, but, but, you know, we're both just kind of have this same view of like, we have things we want to say to the world and we're just going to find a way to do it. We're not going to wait for somebody to give us permission to do it. Um, and then there's a lot of other things too, there too, in like the personal lives too. And, in, uh, that we really saw were, were that mirror. But at the time, yeah, when I was in the trenches, so to speak, I just was really worried about wanting to, do a really good job and work really, really hard and, and show him that I was, um, trustworthy and like capable of, of producing good work. I remember leaving the first time I met him and Lou and I remember driving back up to LA. It's a two hour drive. And I remember looking out the window, like, you know, it was like the sun was just kind of setting too. And there was just this sense of like, this was one of those moments in my life where it's a plot point that's really significant and that was I think really supposed to happen and right when it was happening it it did make sense that it was happening um wow I think I felt 
something. Yeah, pretty deep and pretty, pretty profound. Um, but of course, the journey ahead was something that I couldn't anticipate what it was going to be. But I definitely felt, uh, yeah, special. It, it felt magical for sure. So you got linked into to the stars specifically f- to work with, you know, to do uh, videogra- uh, videography or documentation of some of the to the stars Academy of Arts and Science stuff. Yes. Uh, so did that kind of turn into unidentified? Was it just was your job to collect footage that might be used for some kind of archive or promotional material later? Um, because I, I believe the the actual History Channel show that came out of to the stars Academy of arts and science was something earlier, like, like just specifically, for example, um, since like, I think 2015, Tom DeLong had been posting stuff on his Instagram about going to Washington, uh, Washington DC to do interviews going, mm-hmm. uh, you know, un- for secret machines for the UAP phenomenon, uh, to the stars Academy of arts and science hadn't been officially incorporated yet or hadn't started their rollout, but it seemed like for a couple years, he's been cultivating material and trying to make a documentary were you supposed to come in to assist that effort or was it for something else yeah that's actually exactly what it was at first so at first it was um it was basically the adam project beginning um so the adam project um you know was basically the acquisition of meta materials and analysis on those materials so the project that i did the first thing i did was basically was i went out to ohio with lou and with um and uh and tom and we collected this material and i just had to film it and then i was in a car with lou for 18 hours as we drove uh to austin texas and we along the way stayed at you know motel and we like we had this material in the back that we didn't really you know of course know what it was and it was just like the craziest most amazing i mean lou and i basically had 18 hours to talk the whole time and i was just filming him and um of course, by the end of the journey, when I got back, I was just like, oh, man, this is like, this is special. This is probably the most important story in the world right now. I really want to be a part of this. I think I have something to offer. And um, so I actually sent Tom a message after it was done. He just wanted me to film it and have it. And I think at that time, History Channel was already in the works. It, they wanted it at first to do, I think, just a special. I think that they weren't necessarily going to do, they didn't know it was going to be a series yet. They wanted to just do a special at first. Um, so that filming I was doing was maybe going to be incorporated into the special for some, you know, for some aspect of it. And then was that the doc, was that what Tom had been working on? Because I think like weirdly enough with the WikiLeaks stuff during the 2016 election, like all these emails that Tom was sending back and forth got out. And one of the things was like a teaser to a documentary that ended up getting spread around like a little trailer or part of a, a pitch packet. Um, was that basically what History Channel was looking to to condense into, you know, a time to like have a two hour featurette or a four hour miniseries or something. Yep. Tom, Tom, that's where it started. Tom wanted to make this documentary and that's exactly it. Yeah. And, and he had a sizzle done and all this stuff. And so that sizzles what he showed me for how he kind of wanted me to also emulate the creative a bit on the way I was capturing this thing. Um, so that was the impetus for sure. Uh, that thing he'd been putting together with Joe Brisbo and a couple other guys, um, uh, for, for a couple of years, actually, I think before that, uh, he knew he wanted to make a disclosure documentary and that, intention from him is what snowballed into this whole process um now where i came in was when i started recording this stuff uh tom was in need of what i didn't realize though was he was really in need of somebody that could continuously be a visual storyteller for the company sure all i knew was when i filmed it i was just like i really want to be involved so i (laughs) emailed him 
And I just said, Tom, like, uh, you know, I did the filming. I just want you to know, like, I do more than filming. Tom hadn't really known a whole lot of my career. He kind of knew I was a director. But I just said, can I edit this and just create, like, a highlight video of what this whole encapsulated mission was? Um, and I'll do it for free. Just can I just prove to you what I can do? And he was like, yeah, sure, if you want, you know. <laughs> so, um Meanwhile, like I was on my way to go out and do a VR thing. I was I did a VR project right before that, and I was like going to go do this conference in Italy. So I took my whole iMac, like 28-inch iMac, with me to Italy. And every night of those 10 days I was in Italy, I edited this thing. And it was like the most time I've ever spent on a five-minute piece of content. But I just was like, okay, this is, again, one of those opportunities where it just feels like if you don't put it all here, you're going to really kick yourself later. Like just do it. Just put right. everything into it. I have to do this, right? <laughs> have to do it. And not even going to get paid. It's not about that. Just have to do it. And then, um, and then I sent it to Tom and he was just, he, he just freaked out. He loved it. He was just like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And he just could tell I got his vision. And then he basically brought me on pretty much to do all of the, to the stars videos after that point. And right around that same time, um, unidentified got greenlit and Tom basically sent that video that that video that I had made of that um, Adam project begins that was actually incorporated into a sizzle reel that helped get the show greenlit from History Channel and so I don't remember exactly how it went down, but somewhere along, you know, down the pipe, um, you know, they were they were like, you know, who did that? Who filmed that? And they basically brought me on to the show um, because of that. And because Tom really trusted my vision, I was sort of going to be able to be that person as a part of the show because Tom's so busy doing everything else that could kind of be Tom's um, eyes as well involved with it right and then and then the show took off and so for a while it was doing things both for the show for history channel and then for to the stars um a little bit separately but i was sort of doing both of those worlds this this would have been last summer summer 2018 and so you guys went and shot a ton of extra content to uh, for the unidentified series once it was greenlit right so it's kind of a i'm assuming a mix of like some re retasked footage and then a lot of new interviews and, and new things that you had to shoot as well yeah, it, it was, uh, I mean, th those guys, they planned an entire, you know, who needs to be interviewed. A lot of it was, you know, Lou, um, obviously Lou con was continuing the work that he had done in the Pentagon. And so, you know, there was this great collaboration between Lou, between the rest of the guys at TTS and the History Channel and figuring out what are the best, where does the story go? You know, and like a good story, like a good non-scripted story, it, it wasn't all, it was really following the breadcrumbs. It was really following from one interview to the next what would go on, you know. But, um, you know, we did... Um, we did. I think the very first one I was a part of that we filmed was um, Kevin Day. We filmed Kevin Day's story over in Oregon. Then we did all the interviews with the group with TTS. And and I kind of like my role particularly was since I was considered kind of a local there in Encinitas and I had a really good relationship with the To the Stars guys. When, the, when it was kind of any of those beats in the first season that just took place at To the Stars where it was maybe just Lou or, you know, conversation between Steve and Lou or Tom, I would come in and film a lot of those. Sometimes it would be, you know, Jess, the producer, would come out and it would be just the two of us, you know, film it literally just the two of us. I mean, it was the way that we made this, the way this show felt so real was because we didn't have this huge crew. It wasn't this huge dock crew going around everywhere. It was really surgical. It was very skeleton. And, it, and I think that that was the right approach because 
the these moments were just it was it was really capturing what was unfolding you know it was really capturing what was actually happening it wasn't trying to just say that this is this big thing we need to get all done up for you know so just be the two of us sometimes sometimes it was just literally me alone and like I'm running the sound and the camera at the same time doing both filming these beats and I'd like film one side and just flip the camera around to the other side or do whatever you know and I think a lot of my early days of bootstrapping things actually came in handy there because I was used to having to do things with very limited resources and trying to tell a story so a lot of that ended up coming back around so it feels it was very much an indie crew shooting a big tv show but it felt very diy very um you know small i guess because like were you were you guys going around knowing what the episodes were going to be like when you were interviewing people do you think okay you know we need we need eight episodes in a series or six episodes in a series it needs to progress and you know here's how we're going to structure these episodes or was it really just a matter of going out and capturing a massive amount of raw data and then finding the meaning in the editing room for the broadcast episodes because you know because it was history channel it's not it's not like netflix where you can just be like oh it's an hour oh it's 38 minutes this time it has to fit those ad breaks it has to have acts and it has to you know be be a a complete season so how did you go about such a massive massive task of capturing like you said such such an incredible story and then finding finding the way to present that in a television format right and that's a really good question because that was i think the task that you know the producers over in new york really were challenged with was i think at first it was just a matter of collecting a lot of data just you know, uh, collecting a lot of interviews with to the stars team, following leads, really trying to cover the Nimitz and the Roosevelt stories, um, really focusing in on on particular instances and incidents that had a lot of data from a lot of different angles, so that they truly were um, fact based. We started with that, and when we recorded all that, it's not like they had the episode breakdown in their head. I don't think at first. I think that you know they're good producers. They know that okay, this is how we want to organize things in general. And I'm sure that they had to obviously tell their higher ups how many episodes they needed to fill. But I think what was so cool about the first season is that it really they needed to just get the information in to figure out what the story was before they started to put their own fingerprints on how it was going to be told. You know what I mean? And I thought that was a really good approach to it was um, follow things uh, where they go, uh, follow the facts, just the facts. Lou's famous line that he would say over and over again was just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, ma'am. This isn't grandma seeing some lights in her backyard. (laughs) You know, it was really tried and true um, trained observers that have been trusted with you know, multi-million dollar pieces of equipment that are uh, trained to understand what things fly in our airspace and or trained to whatever their field is uh, and getting them on camera. So that laid, I think, the initial groundwork was let's just look at the most credible sources. Let's look at sources that Lou already knows about and wants to follow up on and let's just see where those things go. Um, and then they created, they crafted, you know, the actual... Um, outline of things I think you know more as as the process went along uh, from there and I think you know moving into season two it was a little bit different because now that we knew so much of the story we kind of knew what we wanted to figure out where we wanted to go from here you know so being able to kind of pre-plan was a was definitely is a different scenario of understanding this is this is where we want to go this is the different stories we want to follow up on 
And so you guys are working on that right now, or is that something that's been shot in the process, still in planning? Yeah, we're in the middle of season two right now. We are uh, in the middle of production on it. And are you are you like directing? Are you still being a camera operator? Has the has the, I was gonna say you know has the success of the first season allocated you guys more resources and it's a bigger crew now? I mean, is there any big changes from season one to season two that you can talk about? And you know, just of course, what that experience is like right now. Um, no, I mean, it's really, this looks the exact same in terms of the crew. Um, we might have a couple extra people, like it's very specific, like we'll have a day where maybe we're doing some really nice, well-lit interviews for a day and we'll bring in more crew for that. Obviously we'll have like a gaffer and, you know, we'll have people operating camera on like a, you know, a slider. Um, we'll have PAs, we'll have coordinators. Um, but for the most part, when we're out on the road, so to speak, when it's not just these nice sit down interviews, it's this, it's the exact same crew. It's, you know, me, Andrew, Jess. Um, sometimes a translator, depending on where we're going, sometimes an associate producer, sometimes a PA, um, just to kind of help with runs and stuff, but it's still a very small crew. I mean, and Andrew, you know, the DP, he also flies the drone too. He's doing both. Like he's literally, like we're literally, we'll go out to these, like for, for instance, for, for the Mexico episode, it was just, you know, Lou, Jess, me, Andrew, uh, we had a security guard with us. We had security, we had local fixers and that was it for that whole episode like that was it and it was like all the drone stuff is andrew like after we got some b-roll he'd send up that drone into the air and uh and you know we we really like i think that's what people have to realize is that this was a small group of people truly following breadcrumbs and truly trying to get to the bottom of a story it wasn't this whole super overly produced um thing i feel like i'm a um like an archaeologist that's like going out on like an actual, you know, like collecting data with a little brush and like wiping away the, the, the sand and finding the artifacts like for the first time. And then, you know, uh, it's it's really been wonderful. I mean, the documentary thing in my career has not been necessarily a priority, but for me, just telling good stories has been. And so for this documentary is the best medium to tell this story in. Um, and maybe one day it'll lead itself to other types of mediums maybe there'll be a film with you know that, that i might make someday or even do something with to the stars that is a way to get people more emotionally invested in it but right now it's it's the data it's like actually following really truly what it is uh and you and there's still opportunity to use some of that craft in there you know and use cinematic craft in the storytelling so that subconsciously people are feeling a certain way um, because you do have to guide viewers. You can't just literally set up a camera like a security cam and just film what's going on. It's just the trick is not to make a particular scene feel different than it already felt, but sometimes you have to, to get the truth out of it. You do need to use cinematic techniques to recreate the actual truth of what it is for a viewer. And that is something that I learned is it's not as easy as just setting up a BTS cam and like seeing something just happen. Like you have to use techniques because people are coming into it with different contexts in their minds. Some people have been following the UFO phenomenon for their whole lives, right? And they have one context in their head. Other people, they're looking at this stuff eyes wide open for the first time, like, holy crap. So to be able to to be able to, um, yeah, record with that in mind for both people um, is something that I definitely learned this time around. 
So how did your work on Unidentified and, you know, with To The Stars Academy and Lou Elizondo uh, segue into doing music videos for Angels and Airwaves? Um, because, you know, like you said, you when you started uh, this whole chapter of your life with To The Stars, it was really as, as a camera operator, as a videographer, and then it actually morphed kind of back into what you were doing before you joined, which is more directing and cinematic storytelling and more, more narrative pieces. So how did that, uh, you know, how did your role transition within the uh, Tom's company to a uh, music video director. I was very aware the whole time that um, when the time would be right, I wanted Tom to really see that I'm a director, you know, and, yeah. and, and I knew that that, but that was, that was something that I wanted to be sure of. Um, but it just wasn't the right time ever. You know, it, the time was to be a documentarian. And I mean, I did a lot of editing too with Tom where it was maybe just um, putting together pre-existing footage that they had had as a company over the last couple years. And maybe it was putting out, you know, a video um, just on the To The Star social media or on their YouTube page, you know, or even just things that they used for investor relations. So like I had done a lot of editing with Tom. He actually set up a, a little editing bay for me in, in his right next to his studio. It's just so cool. Like his studio is right next store where he makes his music and then right next to it's actually an editing bay that, that I would be so he'd he'd go run over record a piece of music that he wanted for for the edit and then run back over to you know the edit room and like we put the music right in and he's working with Aaron Rubin and I'm working in this room it was really cool it was like it's awesome we, so we did a couple projects like that that the editing relationship with Tom um, was pretty solid at this point so Rebel Girl the music video came around and I was actually already like a fan of the song. I had heard it before. Um, I'm pretty sure it was already charting. It had been a couple months that it had been out. And so I was really familiar with it. Uh, but at this period of time, I was, you know, down in Tom's edit bay. And I was just kind of his regular guy working on projects with them. And so he had had one of his longtime collaborators uh, shoot the performance footage of the band. And so Tom called me in to basically work on the edit. And I think that, you know, he really wanted to be more involved with the crafting of it. And I was his guy. I was literally at his studio. And so I could be that like more involved guy that he could sit right next to and be in these sessions with. So we both sat down and looked at the video together and what was there. And this would be on a Sunday night. And Tom liked where it was going. But like I should say, like Tom is Tom is a very organic artist. And like creativity blossoms at every stage of the creative process for Tom. Um, particularly in like the most spontaneous and like spur of the moment times for him. So while we were there talking we were just coming up with some cool more actual narrative like actual storyline ideas and we both were very aware of the fact that like this was his first this would be his first music video in seven years uh and i think you know he wanted it to be something that was fresh and had a fresh voice and you know something that definitely um would would come out swinging and pack a punch you know i'm sitting in there with him and i basically took this as like an opportunity to mention to him the sort of visuals that I saw in my head when I would just be listening to the song. You know, to me, it felt nostalgic, just the types of sounds that Aaron Rubin and him had created, the vibes. Um, it felt like a callback to early relationships, like a young high school type relationship. And it felt uh, innocent, but it also felt funny and it felt kind of weird and uh you know it kind of had this very much it, it had an 
era morphing in my mind of just nostalgia vibe, you know, whether that's 80s, 90s, whatever, you know, whatever you want to say. And so like when I'm working with artists and I've done several music videos in the past, I feel like I become the Pokemon ditto uh, <laughs> because I just because I just turn into them. Like I turn myself into them and I think from a place of where their minds would think, at least to the best of my ability. And, you know, that's how I just know that the bridge between um, their voice and my voice will be pure. You know, um, because I think when you make music videos, when you're when you're collaborating on art with another artist, there's like multiple levels of synergy that have to like really happen for it to be like a great experience. It's like this art, like Tom as an artist has Rebel Girl means so much to him already. Uh, it has images in his head already. It has feelings in his head. In my head, it it has images and feelings and that are things that it's sometimes just either a coincidence that they're the same, but it's but it takes like a marrying of the two and it takes an honoring of the two to actually be able to, I think, have like a really good director, music, musician collaboration. So when you were sitting down with Tom and working on the cut of the existing footage, uh, did you guys start to find that like, oh, wait, we're, you know, through that editing process and through being in the same room that, oh, we're really on the same page and that's why we want to take it further? Is this something that you kind of realized you guys were getting the same thing or was it something that you really had to communicate a lot and, and figure out where the other person was coming from or did it just, you know, click? Yeah, it it kind of felt like we both knew that the that there was cake, but we wanted to put some icing. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. I think that's what that's where we were the same. But really, it just came out in conversations about it. You know, it came out in conversations that I don't think started as like this is literally what the video should be, but it's just kind of like this is how it feels. And um, sure, you know, watching the edit and like watching you know the great performance footage that Will Eubank had done it's like it had its own vibe too but then you know listening to the song it's like it's like it was yeah it was a very much an additive process you know it, it's just this constant and this is Tom it's this constant like let me just take the best of everything around me and create the best possible product period that you can say about almost everything he's done in his life um so yeah so it started with that and Basically, you know, pitching him on these ideas, um, but expanding upon things. And Tom's like really funny. Tom's just like a really funny guy. Like he has an amazing sense of humor, you know. And so right away when I started to kind of tell him the images in my head that it had to do with, you know, uh, this guy maybe getting friend zoned thing in a bedroom, he he dug it. Like he dug the whole thing, but he wanted to like up it, you know, and make it different and make it edgy yeah. and, and honestly just make it more Tom, you know. Like he knows his voice. Um, and I totally dug that. And so we eventually settled on this thing where it's like, okay, you know, the premise was like, sometimes when you get friend zoned, you just want to punch yourself in the face. That's what it feels like. Like to us, it was a very like authentic coming of age moment where it's like, you're not necessarily angry with the other person that's friend zoning you. You're really angry with yourself. You know what I mean? And that was the hook, right? That we just sort of came up with. Um, but it's also like Tom, Tom's a punk rocker. Tom, you know, has a sense of humor. He likes to push things, you know? And so we riffed on that, bottled it all up. And like, eventually that's what would become the video. But, you know, so we're, we're just like basically having this back and forth, but eventually it gets to the point where Tom's like, yo, hold up this video needs to be done by like the end of the week to stick with 
this schedule that with the label and all that stuff, like, I don't think, you know, we don't have the time for this. When would this happen? How would it happen? Who would do it? And that's just kind of when, like, I knew this was sort of the moment where I wanted to pitch myself as, as being more than just an editor and a documentarian, but as a director and as a producer, because that's, you know, that's really what my core essence is. And so I just told him that I was like, look, I have a team up in LA uh, and they're, and they're extremely talented and I trust them immensely. Um, I told him like, I you know, have my own production company, which he was aware of, but that we were like a well-oiled machine. And I was like, look, we can organize ourselves and we can make this happen by the end of the week. If it's something that like, you know, you know, if it's an idea that you really like, you know, and, and he was kind of just like, you're crazy. Uh, and, uh, and I was just like, look, you know, like I, yes, but I really want this to be good for you. I want you to love it. Uh, and I see what you're seeing and I see what you're wanting from it. He gave me some more suggestions. He, uh, told me about some color palettes that he would like, you know, I could tell like his gear started churning. He was like, okay. Yeah. He started getting excited. You know, he, he started, he started getting into that mode where it's no longer like, should we, but okay, now how should we, you know, like, how should it be? And then, you know, Tom's like a very good at aggregating certain types of, um, creative content. Like sometimes he'll just send a painting, you know, that, that might be all it is, but he's, he's very aware of like certain vibes he wants to, um, convey. So, you know, he kind of, we talked about that stuff. He literally then just like stood up turned to me, shook my hand and just said, go for it. I trust you. That all like literally all happened in the course of like a sit down edit bay (laughs) session. It was very surreal, but everything with him is surreal. Um, so then I got back in my car and, uh, I'm, I'm in San Diego. I'm driving back up to LA and I'm just like now calling my A team. I'm just calling my usual crew. I'm assembling the team. I'm just saying like, here's the song. Here's the idea. We literally have like 48 hours to get a cut pretty much so that we can really make this thing done by Friday. Um, and they're, they're, they're game. They're all just like super excited about it. So I, you know, I call my producer, uh, Paulo Hannigan. He's also the head of production at my company. And, you know, he hits up his Rolodex and calls the, the usual suspects. And I call my DP, Andy Franjak, who's super talented. And I call my usual actor friends that I've collaborated with on a bunch of projects, um, Nicole Dubois, Josh Pinkowski, and Jake Arzola. And I, you know, because at this point, I just like, I needed some people that I could really trust. And I knew that they would just be perfect for the roles. And, you know, I sent them their their faces and stuff to Tom, and he, he approved them and loved them. And so I was like, okay, great. We've got everything together. It's now like Monday morning, and pretty much we're like, we need to shoot this tonight. So um, we spend the day basically set dressing my bedroom because it's like wow. we just use my room. I like used a really cool piece of art from um, basically like my landlady who like paints and her artwork is up in the background there. Pam Holland, she's the best. Shout out. And uh, and you know we just create this this whole world of Rebel Girl, and you know we have just enough time to be able to kind of run through some shots. And you know I definitely that whole drive up from San Diego to L.A. I was just kind of running through the visuals in my head at that point because 
um, because I saw very specific things with like slider dollies and zooms, you know, to kind of capture that 80s, 90s. Like it's a lot of it's lateral and zoom movements, you know, it's these it kind of almost feels quirky, you know, but that was sort of the, the, the vibe of it. You know, just this voyeuristic boy to girl, girl to boy. It's all a, a, a dance between the eyes. Right. And so like I'm thinking of what these different shots could be, keeping in mind some of the like specific story beats that Tom and I had kind of riffed in the room. So, you know, when I kind of got to LA, you know, I was just sort of writing down a quick shot list, but we had enough time to kind of get up on our feet in the room, plan some things out. Andy and I, you know, went back and forth and, you know, he's a wonderful collaborator. And then, you know, Tom's down in San Diego. So I basically send him, you know, still images of certain shots and things like that. Um, so, you know, I could kind of get, keep him, keep him excited about it. So anyway, so we basically, um, between, 8 p.m. that night and till 5 a.m. the next morning we shot the video everybody's really excited about it It it's a fun shoot and then I spent the next three days straight pretty much cutting it you know all the while uh I'm thinking in the back of my head like you know uh I didn't need to do this (laughs) like like let's be honest like Tom really trusted me as an editor and he trusted where I was in in his you know in his life um he, he trusted me as documentarian and at this point you know, the thoughts were definitely streaming through my head of like, if this isn't good, if it doesn't look good, if Tom doesn't like it, um, I'm going to look like an idiot, you know? So it's Friday and I sent him the video and, um, I'm like driving to the beach right after I sent it just cause the beach is sort of my place to just kind of chill after, you know, moments like this. And so, uh, on the way to the beach, I get a phone call from him and he was just like, I watched it. I love it. I want to use it. I'm really proud of you. It was the best feeling in the whole universe. I mean, I just, I remember I went, again, I drove over to the beach and I just sat there and I was just like, okay, you know what? Like those feelings that you get, you know, I'm young. I got got a lot more life I need to live to start spewing, you know, life wisdom here. But, (laughs) But I do know, and I did learn from those instances that when you feel that thing, you just have to go for it. Even though like I was so nervous every step of the way, I just like really had to do it. And I wanted Tom's first video to be in the seven years. I wanted it to be something that, um, you know, was, was just, you know, out there going for it, you know, and that Tom was stoked about. And I really just had him in mind the whole time with it. I mean, I really just wanted, um, to make sure that he felt really good about something he was coming out with and, so anyway, so it came out and, and, you know, he was really excited about it. It's cool because I, I interviewed uh, Aaron Rubin last for the, the interview series we're doing. And he kind of said the same with the music, that Tom's very much a guy who has a vision. But when a collaborator comes in, regardless of what their credentials or their clout is, you know, regardless if it's a Oscar winning or Emmy winning producer or, or a young filmmaker like yourself, if someone has an idea or a take or something that's passionate and instinctual. And, you know, like you said, it's like, I, I have to do this. I have an idea. It'll take a little bit of extra resources. We have to do it. He's like wildly open to it. And you would think, you know, someone that's as as accomplished as he is, it's like, nope, I'm doing it my way. Like I have a proven tried and true method. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, It's I just think it's so cool. It must be great for you to just 
have him have said yes to that. Yeah, every step of the way with Tom has been that. He has been so generous in allowing me opportunities. Um, you know, I mean, that's the same thing with the first video I did with him when when he said, yeah, you can go ahead and edit it. Sure, you know, it was like it. Tom is somebody that really values um, people that come with a vision and come with a gusto that want to do something. And I think he saw that in me and he allowed me to do that. And, you know, he, did, he didn't have to. Um, and I think that just speaks a lot to him is Tom knows how to find people and unleash them. Their, their greatest um, skill set of what they're good at. He knows how to bring it together. I mean, he did it as an artist. He did it in a, he did it in a band. He did it in a company. And now he's doing it with like CIA people. You know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. He, know, he knows how to get people and unleash the thing within them that is their their, their true north and their essence and he knows how to bring it all together in a way that benefits the art for the highest sake and and so I really felt that from him and I'm so gracious to those opportunities that he gave and um but I, I needed to show up I needed to show up and make it good I mean that's that's the thing is that he wouldn't uh, he would have stopped a long time ago if if he didn't see that I was putting everything I could into each of these projects so how did that relationship then evolve into the development and production of Kiss and Tell? Um, was that video already in development? Did he already have an idea for that? Or was his call to you basically like, you know, Rebel Girl went great. We worked well together. Let's, you know, get into a room with a whiteboard and, and hash out uh, the music video for Kiss and Tell. Tom had a very clear idea of what he wanted for Kiss and Tell. He called me knowing what he wanted um, and that he really wanted my help to uh, to execute. The idea evolved. It, it Again, it's always organic. It didn't necessarily start out the way it ended, um, but he had very specific buckets of an idea that he wanted. You know, one being he liked the pastel backgrounds and he wanted, you know, a model and he wanted to interact with the model. And, um, you know, at first it was going to be silhouettes and it was this and it kind of, it, you know, it, it developed over a course of conversations that we had back and forth with each other. Um, you know, Tom had something he specifically wanted to say in the storyline, and he wanted to make a story about a relationship where two people just kind of kept missing each other. It was very human. It was very real that just two people had different agendas. And so it was kind of like, how do you show that in sort of this fun, quick way in a video? Um, and so he was very open to my ideas that I'd bounce off of him and his ideas he'd bounce back to me. Um, we kind of had a little bit of a groove about that at this point. Um, it eventually came down to more of a practicality thing because he was about to go off for tour. Like we had a week left and he was, it was like a Sunday. I remember it was a Sunday and he was going to leave for tour like the following Friday or something like that, the following Monday. And he wanted this video to be shot before he left for tour. And so we were like, okay, like, so, okay, let's shoot it at the rehearsal space that he's actually rehearsing at for tour. So in the video, in Kiss and Tell, that whole space where him and the band are doing their performance piece, that was their actual rehearsal space that they were doing their whole rehearsing for, for the tour. Was it for the tech rehearsal as well? Like they were doing, exactly. it was like the lights were back there. So this was like their tech rehearsal space. So if like anyone just walked in at any other time of the week, they would be working, but it was pretty much just set up a camera and, and make it look good. Well, it it was at least for that portion, we we relied on a lot of the pre lighting that they had um, set. And Jonathan Belinsky, who's the DP, who's like a multi Emmy winning winning DP that Tom and him had worked previously together. Um, Tom brought him in, uh, and this was my first collaboration with him, and it was so awesome. He's so talented and so good at what he does. Um, and he you know brought the team down from from um, LA. And so we set up, so on the one side of the space, and it's at this place called Gnarlywood in Carlsbad, and those dudes at Gnarlywood are, are awesome guys. We set up um, the pastel backdrops, 
uh, for uh, that piece of it, which you know Jonathan lit really well. He you know Tom knew he wanted kind of like a fashion lighting thing, and so um, you know so he'd kind of he'd kind of tell me these like um, specifics that he wanted, and then it was kind of my job to basically be able to translate it with John and figure out exactly how that would look, and choose the actual camera angles, and choose the setups, and choose kind of how the day was gonna go, you know. And then I remember it was like a, kind of an eleventh hour thing too, where the whole one shot. I just I was like, you know, if we're going to be shooting this thing in the same place, it'd be really cool to connect the two worlds. And I think that there's something that can be said subconsciously about, you know, the storyline by connecting these two worlds because these two worlds are very connected. So originally the idea was that he was going to hop on his motorcycle in the, <laughs> in front of the pastel backdrop when he's with the model and then ride over to the to the, you know, the set. And then, of course, in the space it, like that wasn't going to that wasn't going to work uh, just because it's too small. But but we ended up doing that same idea. Um, and I think it just just really helped to convey what he was trying to say about the convergence of those two, of his musician world, of his life, and the relationship life. Um, and I think it's, it's something that a lot of artists can relate to, and is again, a very human truth that Tom likes to convey. So we shot that all in a day. That whole video was one day. Wow. From morning till the evening. The whole walkover, the whole you know, steady cam shot where he walks from leaves one set to the other, and then also the shot where uh, you know it pans from the band to uh, her name's Brittany, right? The the actress. Yep, yep, she's amazing. Yeah, Brittany. Yeah, yeah. When it pans, when it pans to her, that was that all like uh, last minute additions, or was that whole kind of end bit that you know the the one where you pan over to her was that all part of kind of the way you were going to end it? We knew that we wanted to do the one shot going into the day. This, but the exact way it went down was found in just the rehearsal of it you know it was kind of a, again it was one of those ideas that you just start stacking things on top of each other and it, and it looks really and it works really great so like the idea was they were going to do something like the final straw was going to lead was going to make tom walk away and that we were going to you know pan away and then of course in the last minute we, we you know I, I saw that we were going past the monitor i was like oh it'd be great if she like does something into the monitor and so she does a little thing we see her going by and then we follow behind Tom, and uh, that's his actual crew, like his actual same um, stage crew that was with him on tour. I was right there manning the lighting panel, and, uh, you know, his guitar tech is the actual same guitar tech that, you know, handed him the guitar before he went on, um, which is, you know, a little treat for just people that got to see Tom on tour. Um, and then, yeah, he starts playing and all this stuff. And then we, on that day... Uh, were like it would be really cool if she just came and pulled the plug on it because like she, she should show her anger about it you know and then we follow her all the way back like that happened right there like on the day that we kind of had that idea uh, to to pull the plug there and then following her all the way back um, and it, it just ended up we I think we did it in three takes maybe it was on the fourth take that we totally got it and it was the last thing we did for the day and once we got it like we you know big celebration tom was super happy with how the day went we all had a blast and uh and we went home so it's almost like a theme emerging that like all the coolest moments and all you know the the biggest creative victories come out of a kind of spontaneity and pure moment of like gut instinct and inspiration versus some some plan because i feel like you know the art that has, surrounds angels and airwaves feels very meticulous and kind of like almost completely pre-scripted but then you realize so much of it just comes from 
a point of inspiration or instinct. Yeah, the planning is essential to give yourself the environment where you can have time to discover things, you know, so the going into all these things there, there's definitely a degree of planning where I'm doing my work as a director where I'm really planning out exactly what is going to be shown where at least I'm coming into it with an understanding of what that's going to be like. But then when we're there. Yeah, the magic sauce happens when it's just literally up on your feet working with the two actors, working with Tom and Brittany, working with Jonathan with the camera, and it's all moving together, and it's just like, yo, no, you know what? That's it. Like, this idea will work really great. Let's just try it. Let's throw it at the wall. And, you know, it takes a kind of set that is open to that level of creativity for those things to happen because there are definitely some sets where it's like we are sticking exactly with the plan that I have in a storyboard and blah, 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 blah. And I think, again, that's where Tom and I collaborate really well together is we're both of the vein of let's prep it let's make sure we're giving it the time and attention it requires and the craftsmanship it requires but when we're there let's be ready to just toss things out the window or throw things at the wall and just we won't really know if they work until you try them and I think that that's one of those things that, again, Tom and I are similar at, is that we have a really good understanding of what works when we see it working. You know, if it works, it's like, yeah, that's it. That works, you know. And you can't always you can't always figure that out in your head ahead of time. You have to experience it and feel it in your gut. Tom's a very instinctual creator, you know. But he backs it up with a lot of hard work and a lot of hours spent consuming content, understanding content, and... So it's been a really cool case study in the balance between really, really hard work and just long hours. I mean, editing of these videos is just straight up long hours. It's not like I sit there and and um, and right away I dive in and like I know exactly how it's going to piece together. No, it's like taking a huge sculpture, like a huge marble slab and slowly chipping away at it till finally one day a sculpture starts to emerge. And then you're like, oh, that's what I've been making the whole time. And then you can go really meticulously and you're like, there's my sculpture. There it is. Now I know how to make it. Now I know how to make it look good. But at first you're just like chopping away big blocks at something sometimes. And that's just pure, purely hard work and a lot of hours. So what's next for you in terms of Angels and Airwaves or To The Stars? Is there anything you can tell us about that you're working on now besides the season of Unidentified? Yeah, we're in the middle of Unidentified right now. We're in the middle of filming season two right now. That's been the main preoccupation. Tom's been away at tour. Um, I was able to go backstage and get a little bit of behind the scenes stuff with him um, when he was on tour. Actually, one one really quick story too um, that I thought was really cool. I put it in an Instagram post, but Adam, you, you guys might you know might be a cool story to share. Is um, when I was editing Kiss and Tell, Tom was. Um, on tour. He was in New York at the time and he we were maybe on round 3 of revisions and Tom had just some very specific performances he wanted to be able to like choose between and he wanted to really sit with me. So he flew me out to meet him in New York backstage. He was playing at the PlayStation Theater and that day when I come and I meet him and I bring my Mac, you know, backstage, open it up and he comes back after after a, a sound check and we're going through the footage and that day Right when we were there, the, the article comes out of the Na U.S. Navy actually admitting that these videos were UFOs for the first time on the record. And so it was so cool because it went from we're editing Kiss and Tell. He's okaying the edit. He's seeing this thing that the Navy actually okay, you know, 
says that UFOs uh, in the videos are real, validating so much of the work he's been doing for so long. And then he goes out on stage, plays, plays a show in the audience. He's like, you guys probably read a little article about something for me today. And everybody just erupts. And cause he, and you just see, and I'm sitting like right aside stage to him. And I'm just, you know, watching and I just really have had the coolest um perspective and view of this man who really has really stuck with um, his beliefs and what he's working on, even in the midst of people ridiculing him and not understanding what he's doing. It was one of those magical moments of just seeing like it all come together. And uh, I was just felt very grateful that I just have gotten to help tell the stories um, along the way. Yeah. One of this, again, one of those magical, magical moments. Well, we hope to uh, see more of your work coming soon with uh, Unidentified or maybe potentially some more Angels and Airways music videos. Uh, and again, you know, thank you for sitting down with us today and, and sharing so much creative insight. Yeah, Adam, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. It's been such a, such a pleasure. <laughs>